Hello. The first casualty of the BBC's new social media guidelines is Carol Vorderman. She is quitting her BBC Radio Wales Saturday show because she says she is not prepared to lose her voice. A new contract specified that she would have been required to, and I quote, respect civility in public discourse and not to bring the BBC into disrepute. Ms Vorderman has been writing texts like this. Rishi Sunak is a liar. And she has described this government as, and I quote again, a lying bunch of greedy, corrupt, destructive, hateful, divisive, gaslighting crooks. No surprise, then, at the parting of ways. Who will be next? This week also saw the introduction of the media bill in the King's speech, long awaited by broadcasters and a matter of real concern for many who care about the future of public service broadcasting. Well, to discuss the bill and what it means, I'm delighted to be joined by Sophie Chalk, policy adviser for The Voice of the Listener and Viewer, the independent charity which represents the interests of the audience in supporting high-quality broadcasting in the UK. Welcome to the podcast, Sophie. Why does this bill matter to anybody listening in this programme? Is this only of interest to the broadcasters? How does it directly impact on listeners and viewers? So as broadcasting has become increasingly competitive, over the years, the requirements for public service broadcasting have had to decline because there's been more competition. So if you think about pre-2003, when we last had a, a, a Communications Act, which is what governs our broadcasting currently, we only had five channels on TV. And then we had digital switchover, which brought hundreds of channels and much more competition for the broadcasters. As a result of that, the government, Ofcom, recognised that you needed to reduce the responsibilities on those broadcasters because otherwise they just couldn't survive in this highly competitive environment. So ITV's quotas were dropped and various other quotas have been dropped over the years until now, we're at a point where really the only quotas apply to news and current affairs and genres such as religion or arts no longer have quotas. And so in addition to digital switchover, and we have hundreds of TV channels and uh, radio channels now on DAB and online, we've got online content as well, which adds to the competition, You've got the streaming services, which have added yet more pressure onto traditional broadcasters. Now, what's happened is that their share of the market, the number of viewers they get, has dropped significantly because there's much more competition. And you could say that we're overwhelmed by choice now, which is marvellous. But from our point of view, quality is key. And quality tends to come uh, with adequate funding. And the broadcasters aren't getting as much money, basically. They haven't got the funds to make the content because they haven't got as many viewers. So that's why this bill is so important. It's trying to rebalance the market in terms of giving the broadcasters, in a way, uh, a, an advantage, the public service broadcasters, an advantage so that they can retain their share and the number of viewers they have whilst providing the content we all want. 
We hope. Um, they could also say, of course, this is a particularly difficult period for them. The BBC's income is, is down over 10 years by well over 30% in real terms. You've got a, a real issue with advertising at the moment. We see ITV cancelling projects. There's uh, same with Channel 4. Uh, there's also the consequences of the strike in America. First of all, the writers and the actors strike. Uh, hopefully that will be well, now that there's been an agreement, that will be less important. So have, the broadcasters have been saying effectively, we can't afford to do a great deal of what we've done in the past, and we need much more flexibility. Now, have they got what they want? And this, looking at the reaction to the bill, uh, there's quite a lot of um, um, applause and thanks from the broadcasters. And if you look at uh, the BBC, the one thing that Tim Davies seems to have said is that he's delighted that certain key sporting events will have to be kept free to air. Was there a real danger that that, for example, the cup final and things like that might be put out to the the largest bidder, whoever they were, who could charge whatever they wanted? Absolutely. Um, and then you have the whole issue of the on-demand rights. So when the Olympics or a large sporting event occurs in a country where you've got a time difference of eight hours, ten hours, you want to be able to watch that content when you get up rather than watching it live at 3 a.m., and there was a risk that those rights would be sold off separately, which means that you wouldn't be able to go on to ITVX or the iPlayer and watch that free to air. You'd have to pay a separate subscription. And that's putting a burden on, on audiences that doesn't currently exist. We oppose any route that takes audiences into a position where they have to pay to view content which which up till now they've been able to view free to air. So this does mean that in the future, let's say three, four years, if you care passionately about a major, one of the key jewels, the major sporting events, you will have access free to air. So that's, as, as it were, being protected. The other thing that the broadcasters were, and one of the other things that the broadcasters were very keen about was about a thing called prominence. Can you explain prominence and what the bill does about that? So prominence currently is provided, is insured by the what we call the EPG, the Electronic Programming Guide. So channels one, two, three, four and five are all public service broadcast channels. And they also have prominence for their BBC children's channels and their plus one channels are higher up in uh, the EPG. So they're easier to find. Now, when you now buy a TV and you turn it on and you're faced with a range of apps on the front page of your TV. Increasingly, we're moving into a world where you're going to be viewing content through apps rather than through the electronic programming guide. TV is no longer viewed purely live. It's viewed on demand through apps. So the public service broadcasters were in a position where their apps, the access to their content, could have just disappeared off the front page of your TV when you turn it on. So this prominence applies to hardware, to TV sets. It doesn't apply to mobile phones and other devices where you might want to view TV-type content. It only applies to TV sets. But it's a really, really important provision to ensure that audiences in the UK can access British content that's provided by the public service broadcasters, which is considered to be the creme de la creme, the, the high-quality highly regulated content that we believe is society valuable. 
So this is a situation where if the, the broadcast, well, the broadcasters sense cease to be broadcasters increasingly, they have to choose other platforms. Those who own those other platforms could, if we weren't careful, decide, well, either I'll jack up the fees quite dramatically or because I want to favour some other company or whatever, I will put the former broadcaster, shall we say, down the list somewhere so they're not as prominent with the presumably the consequence audiences would fall off. It would be that sort of scenario that they would be worried about, would they? Yes, and hardware manufacturers. So nowadays, if if a TV producer, you know, whether it's Sony, Samsung, Philips, whoever, bring out a new television set, they then go to all the providers of content and have a bidding war uh, where you have to pay to have your app on their TV. Um, and you want to avoid that because otherwise the money that we pay towards, let's say, the TV license will be going to pay Philips or Sony or whoever else. Now, you want that money to go towards content, don't you? You don't want to be paying endlessly to every single TV producer around the world. So we want to avoid that, the draining of funds towards distribution, let's say, how the content, how you receive the content, which currently you receive you're watching live through your rooftop aerial once you've invested in the kit you can watch it without any additional fees and it costs the broadcasters to distribute via the aerial but it's a flat fee whereas now they're having to pay lots to develop their apps they have to pay to design the software to deliver their content and that can vary according to the tv set you're watching on so they have to design lots and lots of different apps so what you want there is you obviously want the best access possible, but you also want to, to not have to spend a disproportionate part of your income not making programs, not on content, but on distributing them. Although it would seem generally the cost of distribution will inevitably go up to a degree. Uh, but with the other thing, the, the broadcasters kept saying to government, we need a we need a, a level playing field as well, not just in terms of prominence, but we're talking and having to compete with an unregulated world. We have to have regulation. They don't. Uh, what does this bill do to, uh, if you accept the broadcaster's case, to make a level playing field in terms of regulation of content? So the government, in its white paper, originally said it, it wanted to make sure that wherever you watched, or however you watched TV-like content, you could be certain that it was regulated, the content was regulated according to the broadcasting code, which is how... TV broadcasters are currently regulated. So there are regulations in there to protect you from harm and offence, to protect children, and also to ensure accuracy and impartiality. All of those issues which are contained in the Broadcasting Code, which is quite a long document, that Ofcom manages all of that regulation. And the broadcasters have argued for a long time that the streaming services are not regulated in the same way that they are. So they have responsibilities to ensure protection of audiences against you know, misinformation as well. Um, and the streaming services don't. So there have been examples where on streaming services, you'll watch a documentary. And in fact, in terms of accuracy, it'll be way off mark. It won't be accurate. And it may, for example, have been sponsored by uh, a company so that it, shall we say, neglect certain inconvenient facts because who's paying for it mind you we see that with the documentaries don't we netflix documentaries of say david beckham in a sort of way there's certain things about his private life that are shall we say glossed over you certainly can't be sure that the journalism in this such cases is rigorous can you no and 
we're very concerned about misinformation, as I think many are, including the government, and want to see audiences protected. So the new regulations coming in, Ofcom will write a, a broadcasting code for the streaming services, which will largely cover, it'll largely reflect the broadcasting code for TV services. There are some wrangles over impartiality regulation uh, because currently if you're in the run-up to an election where there are sensitive issues being debated, um, British broadcasters, TV broadcasters have to be extra careful about what they put out. And Netflix, for example, or, or Prime, they don't want to have to take down everything off their global sites that's available to UK audiences that could be considered politically sensitive in the run-up to an election, for example, because that would cost them loads of money and be a real hassle. So there are some fine details there in terms of the broadcasting code to be negotiated. One of our problems in a way is that obviously the broadcasting code will be written independently of the legislation. The legislation just says that Ofcom has to draft this broadcasting code, but we haven't seen it yet. So we can't tell how rigorous it will be, but we're hopeful that Ofcom will follow the letter of the law and ensure that streaming services are regulated properly. Well, I mean, love reading reading the various documents or attempting to before I almost gave up baffled by some of it. I mean, it did occur to me that in a massive amount does depend on Ofcom interpretation. And of course, governments have the uh, appoint who is in Ofcom and they appoint the chairman. The chairman is now Lord Great. A distinguished former chief executive, of course, of Channel 4 and BBC, but then a conservative peer, etc., etc. So, you know, there's, uh, it's not just the uh, act, as it were, it's the implementation of the act that you presumably will be keeping a very close eye on. Um, but let me also ask you specifically about one or two areas that might be impacted here. So let's start uh, perhaps with local radio, local commercial radio. Um, the BBC has been, under very considerable pressure, has been cutting back significantly in local radio. Um, a lot of the local radio is now becoming regional at various times. And, for example, things like religious services are being uh, cut back by some say two-thirds so in terms of local commercial radio what what will be left of their public service um, obligations uh, if this bill goes through so the bill will allow commercial radio stations to focus on a, a narrower duty of providing providing local news and information rather than providing non-news content so non-news content might include local music for example and Ofcom and the government say this is because local news in particular is what audiences value the most about local radio and so they're they're focusing local radio on local news as opposed to non-news content I mean the select committee did say that the government should provide Ofcom with clearer guidance regarding the enforcement of this obligation so we'll wait to see whether whether that happens. But I mean, we are concerned because uh, you know, local radio now is produced out of a far smaller number of hubs, let's say, than it used to be. So it's less local. And lo deregulation of, of local commercial radio has, has sort of been moving apace since 2018. Um, and it's becoming less local, as is the BBC's output. As we've become more global in terms of our consumption of content, local becomes increasingly less sustainable financially. Well, I mean, you've got a market failure now, haven't you? But if you look at the old local media across the board, I saw Reach PLC, for example, cutting back very significantly. It's 
big plans. Local journalism, whether it's print, whether it's text, whether it's radio, whether it's television, uh, is, uh, there's a market failure there. And presumably market failure is one of the reasons, uh, all the tests, uh, where you say there's a need for public intervention. There's nothing here I can see in this bill which suggests they recognise that overall crisis. It's just saying, oh, well, look, the, the, fact, the financial facts of life are these. Full stop. Is that a fair? Well, I think it is. I, I think ever has it been thus. I mean, unfortunately, we've been facing financial realities since 2003, whether you're looking at television or radio. The markets become increasingly competitive. And in 2003, for example, 2004, Ofcom decided that uh, quota responsibilities for ITV should be dropped uh, for religion, for example. And 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 there also is virtually no well no religious programming. Channel Four it's gone as well. The BBC is the only provider, significant provider, and uh, we'll move on to the next stage, which is that the media bill does re- re- remove the quota system, protecting uh, religion along with science and and some other areas. I mean, the Select Committee said uh, removing such requirements will lead to a considerable reduction in content. That's what the Select Committee thought. Is that what you think? that the reduction in these quotas in these key, what we might say, public service areas will result in a reduction in content? Well, it's interesting. There's some research done for the last public service broadcasting review that Ofcom ran uh, by Mediateek, and they and they, they predicted that budgets for uh, such content, so what we might call at-risk genres, so that includes arts, religion, science, education, um, are all going to decline year on year, probably by 10% a year as we move forwards. So they're not going to last very long if you, if you project f- forwards. So they're, they're at risk already. This is a financial reality. As you're saying, the market is determining in a way which content we have access to. Some would say that there's so much content online on YouTube and other platforms now. You know, why do the public service broadcasters need to provide this content? Well, we would argue that content on YouTube isn't regulated. It was suggested to us that the, that the, that the Church of England's YouTube channel is excellent. So we went and had a look at it just to check it out um, to see whether it really provided an alternative. Uh, there's no analysis. Um, it is purely production of services. Uh, so if you want to watch church service, you can do so on the Church of England's website. Marvellous. But it doesn't provide any analysis, any editorial. It's not independent. It's not uh, checked by Ofcom or regulated for accuracy. And, you know, the Church of England is a very reputable institution, of course. Yes. But you say that, but it's not used very much, actually. <laughs> I'd look at that too, the numbers. And we're talking th- thousand. I mean, you know, this is narrow, narrow, narrow yeah. casting. Um, what all of this adds up to, uh, it seems to me, is, is well... There's the financial regime. You can't force people, you can't force broadcasters to lose money. Okay, so that does mean that those that are reliant on advertising and elsewhere like uh, Channel 3, Channel 4, Channel 5, uh, perhaps it's realistic to say there is a very considerable limit to the requirements you could put on in these areas. But the BBC is an intervention. And it is, if we wish to, uh, something that we could invest more heavily in, whether you read, increase the license fee or do it in some other way. It is, in, in some senses, you could argue that the case for public intervention is increased as market failure increases elsewhere. Is that an argument? Well, we may have a different government in here. Is that an argument that will go anywhere, do you think? 
I think it's a real risk. The BBC is being forced into position of, of what we call a market failure model, where it will provide what, what I would consider to be the spinach and the broccoli of broadcasting. So the stuff that everyone knows is good for you, but not everybody likes, which if you project forwards could mean we end up with the situation that the States faced with uh, PBS, which was originally a very healthy, thriving channel and is now a shadow of its former self. If you just put all the spinach and the broccoli on the BBC, everybody will go elsewhere for their donuts. You know, it's, it's just, it's a fact of life. The BBC will no longer provide uh, a service with a range of content. It will provide all the stuff that is considered niche and healthy. Now, the government listened to the Select Committee. We supported the Select Committee's recommendations that the PSB remit shouldn't be watered down. Because in the new, the, so the new, just to explain, the new PSB remit in this bill focuses on UK content, which is made not just within the M25, so it covers the whole of the UK. It's made by independent producers as well as broadcasters, which is good because that sustains a whole section of the economy that's important. It includes current affairs and news and content for children. And that is it. Now, in the current legislation, the Communications Act, uh, the public service broadcasters jointly should provide a whole range of genres of, of content. So that includes religion, arts, science, matters of international significance, education, and sporting uh, events. Now, if you cut all of those out, the responsibility for providing those we are concerned. The government has amended the bill, uh, which was sort of a new bill was introduced on the 8th of November in Parliament. And it now includes the words that the, the public service broadcasters must provide a range of genres of audiovisual content, which constitutes an appropriate range of genres. So Ofcom needs to look at what they're providing and make sure we have a range of genres. So that's the government's solution to that problem with the PSB remit. It hasn't put back in science and arts. It's just said they need to provide a range of genres. And of course, op- appropriate is a very flexible word. Who considers uh, say certain things to be appropriate? It can be a very personal view, can't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there, there, there are always these grey areas because they don't want to pin anything down too hard and fast in in legislation because they want flexibility for the future. So, yes, appropriate is quite a subjective term, let's say. And so we wait to see. The good thing about putting this provision in, and we really, really welcome it, and we're glad the government has listened, is that now Ofcom will have a responsibility to track the delivery of a range of genres, which in the draft bill that was released in March, it didn't have that responsibility. And we spoke to Ofcom and they said, well, no, we can't really justify spending loads of money tracking the amount of religious content on TV, you know, on air, on the PSB platforms, unless we're told to. So this means that Ofcom will have to track those, which is really, really important and very valuable. So at least we'll know what's happening, even if we don't, can't correct it. But at least the evidence will be provided. Yes, the evidence will be there. I mean, I would argue that Ofcom has never had the teeth to prevent the decline of public service broadcasting. It was never provided with the powers to do anything about that. It was provided with the powers to to assess what's out there, what we're getting, but it was never really provided with the powers to stop the decline. If you look at its work on children's TV, which it's been doing since 2008, it really hasn't had a huge amount of influence in stopping the decline in the volume of children's content on air. 
for UK uh, children's content that's relevant to their lives. And the reason that this matters is, you know, whilst content from other countries around the world that you might see on streaming platforms or might be uh, acquired by broadcasters, I mean, whilst it, it can be excellent and it can broaden our horizons, uh, we do tend to get overwhelmed by content, especially from America, let's say, and especially children's TV is dominated by US imports. And we really value content that brings us together, tells us about our lives in the UK, tells us about what's going on in our own country. And that is hugely valuable societally and democratically. It's really, really important. Well, the, the government, I suppose, would say there is a specific provision about uh, distinctly British content, but it's a very general measure of that. But just finally, on really on the question of... of um, of quotas, as I understand it now, the broadcasters essentially have been given freedom to say programming will count whether or not it's put on the broadcasting channels. As long as it's available digitally somewhere produced by the organization, that counts. And what a lot of people think will inevitably be the case, if you're producing something which won't actually be broadcast, then the budget will be much smaller. And, of course, what you do, the audiences, therefore, will be smaller because they're not being broadcast, and, therefore, the money that will go to those programs will, again, reduce. In other words, the decline will continue and maybe even you know, more vertiginous, if that's the word. Uh, is that your concern? We're concerned for two reasons about this. And that it, I just have to say, it's not really in the broadcaster's interest to not put content on their TV platforms, their, their normal broadcasting digital terrestrial tv so why do they want the freedom to do that because as everybody increasingly moves online they see a trend towards everybody watching online and they want to be able to design their online provision so they're on the on their apps on the bbc iplayer or itvx or all four or whatever Uh, they want to be able to design that in such a way to ensure it has impact and reach and they want the freedom to do that uh, currently, they don't have the freedom to do that. Currently, they're they're regulated only on their TV output. So what they want to be able to do is say, well, if we put a religion program online, then that should count towards our delivery of a range of genre. Now, we're concerned that it's quite easy to bury content online. You just don't put it very high up on your on your app. So. Mm. And then when people don't access it, they say, look, there's no demand. Exactly. Well, there's no demand because people can't find it. Exactly. And don't know it's there. So it's a self-defeating argument. Well, the, the other problem is that Ofcom has been given the responsibility to make sure that this content is discoverable, easily discoverable. And again, that's quite a loose phrase. Now, how do you define whether something's discoverable or easily discoverable? Uh, Personalisation is a real issue because increasingly these apps personalise the content they promote to you. So if you watch a lot of religious content, then hopefully you might be led towards it more easily. But we're not sure whether the algorithm will be in there to do that. It might well still promote the latest shocking revelations in some uh, documentary or, or so. Well, algorithms, algorithms have said to work on the information they've got. I, they know what you've watched, so they'll give you more of what you've already watched. They're not very good at introducing you to things you don't know about and you don't know to what. Um, I don't mind. That's the old public service argument. Yeah, but, but I, I believe one of the fundamental principles of public service broadcasting should be to broaden your horizons. Uh, and therefore, we, we, we oppose personalization, actually. <laughs> But there, but there is a risk this content will be buried online. Ofcom hasn't worked out how to measure 
the delivery of this online. There's so much stuff online. How on earth are they going to get across this? They're trying to work it out with the BBC at the moment because the BBC's operating license has changed so that BBC now can deliver stuff online. And they're just trying to work out how to assess whether the BBC is delivering its quotas or it no longer has quotas. It has targets that it sets itself, which is, again, an erosion of the quota system. So Ofcom doesn't actually know how it's going to measure this. So there's a whole grey area in there. So we're concerned about that. Now, we're having this conversation, and you notice, uh, particularly as one gets older, that the people who are making the decisions are always very smart. Of course, it's right. Everything is going digital, whatever. But there are a significant part of the population who are not very, very adept at negotiating the digital world. In fact, they may not be able to. Do you have any indication of the size of the numbers of people who might be, who are being left behind? Not might be left behind, are being left behind. Well, I think the estimate is that 6 to 7% of households do not have access to broadband currently. And some of those people... Hold on a sec, 6 to 7% of households, that could no. be four, 4 or 5 million people? Oh, yes, yes. And it goes, and that, that figure rises to about 11% in groups which are socioeconomically disadvantaged and even higher amongst older citizens. So 6% is, is the average. But that 6% amounts to a lot of people. And some of them won't be able to get broadband because the pipes aren't there to deliver it yet. But some of them are what you call refusenicks. You know, they don't they don't want broadband because they're scared of the cybersecurity risks and they don't believe in it. They they just want to watch traditional broadcasting or listen to their FM service on the radio. Now how we bring those people along with the digital transformation of broadcasting has been a a real challenge for Ofcom, for the government. They're still working on it. People are predicting the end of end of traditional broadcasting, as we call it, in, in 2034. We're really concerned that possibly that might be too early, but who knows? I mean, no one really knows. And that's because universality of access is central to the concept of public service broadcasting. You should be able to access it, whoever you are, not because you're particularly well off or particularly uh, technologically adept. No, you should be able to access it. And we believe you should be able to access it without paying for a broadband service. So it's not just availability of broadband, it's affordability of broadband. So you don't want to have to pay £60 a month or £30 a month extra just to be able to watch your TV or listen to your radio. I mean, that's that's fundamentally wrong in our view when you have a perfectly good system at the moment which could be shut down because if people can't keep up, then they don't get access. Now, that is patently wrong. Well, of course, one of the things people can do, uh, and I believe is wholehearted, and not because you work for the organisation, they could support the... VLV and its vital work that it's doing in this area. But just finally, really, in looking at the timetable, I mean, we've got to have an election in about a year at the latest. Um, this bill will, A, do you think this bill can be implemented, uh, put into law in that time or significant sections of it? And secondly, do we have any idea of what the Labour Party, if it forms the next government, what its attitude is likely to be? Perhaps that second one first. Well, the Labour Party in its policy forum put out what we might see in its manifesto for the next election. And it supports the BBC and it supports universality and the independence of the BBC, which is all very positive. We, we welcome that approach. 
because the BBC is going to come up for its next charter under the next government. And this is crucial timing because the BBC could be turned into a subscription service potentially. We're looking at the funding model at the moment. The BBC is looking at it. The government's looking at it. You know, should the BBC be funded by the TV licence? I mean, this is a crucial question. So that will come up under the next government. So it's very, very important how the next government views the BBC especially, but also uh, broadcasting in general. Whether the media bill will make it through or not, I think the government's been very, very keen to present a bill that is as uncontentious as possible, which is partly why I think it's consulted industry so widely on it. I mean, industry supports this bill. If industry didn't support the bill, it would be far less likely to get through. There's Section 40 clause in there which is causing some concern uh, which is to do with press regulation that's probably one of the most controversial issues in the bill Uh, the rest of it I think the government is fairly confident it's allayed concerns of industry Um, citizens quite often don't get much of a say in this but we have met with the government and they have listened and the select committee asked us to provide oral evidence which we were very grateful for the opportunity to do so on behalf of citizens so We're hopeful the bill will go through. Overall, we'd prefer it to go through than not because public service broadcasters do need the support, but we do want some revisions. And there's also just finally, there is an opportunity in the bill to improve impartiality regulation, which isn't being uh, taken up. Uh, There's a lot of concern about impartiality regulation at the moment. Ofcom is overwhelmed with inquiries that it's running into GB News. There's a lot of concern about this in the world of misinformation. And we think there is a real opportunity to define more closely what news is in the Communications Act. But the government hasn't picked up on that opportunity yet. You never know. We might we might get there, but I, I think it's unlikely. It's probably too late in the day. Uh, they say, somebody said, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. It seems to me the price of public service broadcasting is eternal vigilance. And thank you for being so vigilant, Sylvie so Chalk. <laughs> and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be talking to the veteran journalist Michael Crick, who's had a recent run-in with GB News. We might hear a little more about that. As Sophie Chalk said, there's a wealth of content out there, and we're all fighting for your attention and funds. If you've been enjoying B-Watch, please support us. It's less than a cup of coffee per month at £1.99 a month. You will also be able to find out about my take on this week's interview in my weekly blog. You can access this by signing up to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bwatch. The link to this can be found on our website and in the description of this program on your podcast platform. And if you didn't know already, this podcast is presented by me, Roger Bolton, and it's produced by Kate Dixon. The sound is by Dave Kitto. And special thanks to Quinn Genty. It's a good egg production. Until next time, goodbye.